That's Chris. Mike, jeez. Gorgeous. Bit of a mess over here. Uh, (laughs) I'm not sure what the f*** this is. I'm about to find out. This is Tall Can Audio. What's happening, everybody? Welcome inside episode 1016 of the Tall Can Audio podcast. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Tall Can Audio. Give us a follow there and uh, let us know what you think of everything uh, everything that we're touching on here today. And uh, make sure you're subscribed on your favorite podcast app. Uh, my name's Matt, sitting here. Way over there is Shrides. Neither one of us is at the uh, Need a Beer Company. We'll get into that in just a second. What are you saying today, Michaela? Boo! I know. <laughs> I expected to be at a brewery. I know it's not possible, but I'm I'm just saying sitting at my desk in my office is just not where I expected to be this evening. It's different. It's it is different. Um it is odd that this particular show a thousand episodes in has never yet recorded from a brewery and this was going to be the day. Oh, uh, we're so close. I know. I know. Uh, we'll get we'll get there. Our buddy Andy, uh, he reached out and said, a little under the weather, also had hurt his back. Uh, he has a fairly big weekend ahead, so he wasn't looking to uh, push things. But uh, this weekend, if you're looking to check things out, uh, the Need a Beer Company's Oktoberfest, Saturday, September 24th from uh, 2 to 7 p.m. at 190 Colonnade Road. Uh, they're putting on an Oktoberfest. You can get more tickets. Uh, more tickets. Get as many tickets as you want. Get more info and tickets at uh, needabeer.com. Uh, N-I-T-A beer.com and uh, yeah you get to get yourself a nice brat get yourself some traditional German Oktoberfest music get yourself one of Nita's pints comes with a stein that you get to take home with you all of that comes with your ticket like I said that's at needabeer.com if you want to find out more information Uh, so yeah we thought we'd let Andy rest up for that uh, as he's not doing so good today it's a good idea. Back pain, as someone uh, in their 30s, I can attest to the fact that back pain is is not fun. And uh, you definitely don't want to have to do stuff no. when you're in pain. So no. I totally get it. Except drink beer. Like that is a Obviously. thing that you might do. And I know Andy is totally fine to do. I, I am officially like I've once now thrown my back out with a sneeze years old. Like that's, <laughs> that's a thing yep. that has happened to me. Uh, sometimes you wake up in the morning now like not hurt, like legitimately injured. I don't know what happened. I sleep and now I can't stand. Uh, so we, we do sympathize with, uh, with our buddy Andy. Oh yeah. I, I entered that age during the pandemic. I had my first like injured myself by doing nothing. And one, it's a recurring injury that's happened with my back and neck because of my posture at work. It's terrible. (laughs) And I know I need to work on it. But the first time it presented itself, I, I tell people I injured myself working out, which is objectively true. But I was not actively working out. I was sitting in my gym between sets and I turned my head. (laughs) Just turned my head to look at my phone and everything seized up. Like I, I could have been sitting on the couch doing this. Everything seized up. So, uh, yeah, I turned my head wrong and uh, was almost bedridden. And it changed my life. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, what are we sipping on today, Shrides? All right, today. Oh, look at that. That's Chris. My mic. Yeah. Jeez. Gorgeous. Bit of a mess over here. Oh. Uh, I. <laughs> I uh, stopped by one of my favorite breweries in Ottawa uh, last week, uh, Tooth and Nail brewery mm-hmm. and i picked up uh their loose uh, well i picked up several beers yeah. uh but today i am drinking their lucidity which is uh their summer pale ale mm. 
And it's one of my favorite beers that they do, that they do. Uh, they do it every summer and it's, you know, exactly what it says, summer pale ale, but it's, it's so, if you like IPAs, it's very much an IPA flavor, but it's like a 4.4%. It's nice and light and refreshing, but with really, really good flavor. One of the best beers on the market from one of the best breweries in the city. Uh, so that's what I'm going with today. How about yourself? I am, uh, and I know everybody jumps to the same conclusion if you've listened to the show for any kind of, uh, or any amount of time. Uh, this is from Calabogie, but it is not the Brown Cow Milk Stout, uh, which is both good and bad. I need to be trying more things, but but I always want to try the Brown Cow Milk Stout again. Uh, but this is not that. This is the Front Porch Kolsch Ooh. from the, uh, the Calabogie Brewing Company. It says in the description here, if you didn't know any different, you would mistake this from, uh, for a lager, which, uh, that's all right. It. I, I, I don't know if that's what I'm looking for out of a Kolsch, but we're going to try it. Uh, it says it's going to be kind of citrusy, going to be kind of biscuity. I don't normally put those together, but uh, we'll see what that's all about. Um, before we go any further, you had news on your uh, at Crafted in the Capital um, Instagram account that, that was pretty upsetting about a brewery out near you. So upsetting. I am not okay. Uh, I did not break this news, by the way. Um you broke the it for me. At, I broke, yeah, apparently. <laughs> the, the, and, and a couple other people, one of my friends was like, I didn't know this was happening. I'm like, I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, Crooked Mile Brewery, which is a brewery here in Almont, or was yes. a brewery here in Almont, unfortunately is closing its doors. Or they, they closed their doors actually on September 17th. That was their last day. They had announced uh, a couple weeks prior that they were going to be closing it was actually while Josh and I were in Ireland on our honeymoon, uh, and we saw. I think this is we an emergency. We have room. to get home. <laughs> oh my! I, like honestly, it, we were in such a great mood. We were, you know, riding high, going to the Guinness factory the next day, and this completely brought us down. Yeah. Like we were devastated. This brewery is walking distance oh. to my house. I live in Almont, and while I live in, excuse me, the town of Almont, so many things are walking distance to my house, but like. Not a brewery no. until Crooked Mile came to town, and I think they they came to town in 2016. They first opened, and it, like, it's just a nice little quaint brewery. They make amazing British style beers, and they've got this little tap room. Nothing really like it's very unassuming, but we loved spending time there, so we were super bummed. Um, we went in there and and uh, begged Nick not to do it. And he didn't listen to us, <laughs> uh, but I'm happy to report that. There still will be a brewery in walking distance from my house because base moved. camp. <laughs> exactly. Now that there's no um, brewery, we had sold to move. the house and yeah. fuck this. <laughs> We're out. Um, base camp brewery is or brewing is going to be opening up in the same location. Uh, and actually, oh. it just so happened when we went in to you know buy out the rest of the beer that Crooked Mile <laughs> had, uh, the guy who the owner and founder of base camp happened to be there, just kind of you know chatting with Nick, and and so we we got to meet him and chat with him a bit about what, uh, what they're doing. Uh, and I believe they're going to be opening in November. So hmm. at least they're, you know, one brewery closes, then another one opens. <laughs> as they say. I believe that is the expression. Yes. Uh, I've never, uh, I, you know, I've never been into, uh, and I guess I never will be into crooked mile, but, uh, always enjoyed their beers was always nice stuff. So sad to see that they're not going to be uh, kicking around, but, uh, yeah, maybe around the time base camp opens, uh, we'll have to make this uh, these brewery pods maybe a, a more frequent thing. We'll maybe go in there and and do a show. Uh, we just might have to. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, I think that's totally reasonable. Uh, if you guys missed it, I would uh, suggest you go back check out episode one thousand and fifteen. Our buddy Arden Zwelling from Sportsnet was on. That was 
a ton of fun. Talked about uh, how the Jays are likely to try and line up their their pitching staff here down the uh, down the stretch as we head towards the playoffs. Uh, who might be that number three guy? Is it going to be Stripling? Is it going to be Barrios? Uh, heaven forbid. Is it going to be bullpen day uh, in an uh, in a playoff game? That's not quite what you're looking for. But uh, Arden was uh, was a lot of fun. He always makes time for us. So uh, check that out. That was episode 1015 at com or wherever you're hearing us right now. Just uh, just scroll down a little. Don't be lazy. Just scroll down. Just just tap. It's going to be fine. You're going to love it. Uh, Shride, speaking of baseball, on Tuesday night, uh, the New York Yankees walk off the Pittsburgh Pirates, who I had sunk my hopes and beliefs into were going to actually beat the Yankees. Uh, they did not do so. Uh, but Aaron Judge hits home run number 60. He ties Babe Ruth. Uh, he does not set a franchise record yet. He does not set an American League record yet. He does not set an MLB record yet. But there are people saying that that baseball might be worth anywhere from fifty dollars to $500,000. Uh, some 20-year-old college kid caught it and uh, managed to pull it out of the scrum as a million people dove for it in the uh, in the bleachers there at Yankee Stadium. And immediately, Yankee Stadium security comes down. They, don't, they weren't assholes about it by all accounts, uh, but said, you know, Mr. Judge would, would love to have that baseball. Um, and he says, okay. And out of that exchange, he and his buddies get to go down. They get to meet Aaron Judge. They get uh, a couple autographed balls. He gets an autographed bat. I believe they, uh, you know, he and his buddies get to take some pictures with uh, with Aaron Judge. My question to you: If you circle back, not to where you are now, and maybe it's no different, but I want you to go back in time to when you were a student and uh, you're holding on to a ball that uh, could be worth anywhere from fifty to five hundred thousand dollars. Do you go down and return it to Aaron Judge? And and maybe this is a bad example because. Maybe you don't care about the New York Yankees and Aaron Judge, but maybe you've caught Tim Stutzla's, I don't know, the 50th goal puck went in the net and then flew over the glass and you caught it somehow. Like, that would be a weird ricochet, but something like that. This is an important one to you. Do you want the ball? Do you want the chance to sell it? Or do you want the chance to to go meet the guy and go, here you go, I'll, I'll give it to you, sir. What's your, what's your take? Oh, man. Um, I'm trying to put my... That's exactly it. I'm trying to put my myself in like the shoes of a Yankees fan because I don't think, and I think you know all fans are like this, but but Yankees fans in particular are known Assholes. to be. Oops, no. uh. <laughs> I was gonna say really passionate, but sure. sure yeah. <laughs> um, so so you know I I, I feel like a, a comparable maybe for me would be like if if I went to a Team Canada w- um, women's game yeah. and like. You know, nearing the end, back when I was a student, Haley Wickenheiser was still playing. So, like, let's say I don't know a big goal for her, and I ca- somehow I caught the puck. I sure. don't know how that would happen, yeah, no, but it's somehow weird, I did. But yes, the chance to meet Haley Wickenheiser and and do her a solid, mm-hmm. and get probably a bunch, of, a bunch of free stuff in the process. Yeah, versus getting you know quite a bit of money that would you know fix my student debt and all that Change good stuff. Your life at twenty years old. <sighs> I it's so hard for me to say. <laughs> What I would do then, 
versus now because now I'm like, oh, well, you you meet Haley Wickenheiser. You do the good thing for her. You get a photo with her, a signed jersey, whatever, you, you uh, because you're going to have that. You redo, you undo, you divorce Josh and get remarried and the exchange is she will be your maid of honor. And hundred like percent. Like yeah. 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 <laughs> no, right. You change your life. Uh, all these things. Um, because, you know, now in my 30s, I'm like that experience is worth way more than that money that I would probably in my 20s spend very quickly and not use responsibly. <laughs> yeah. So it's easy for me to say now, oh, yeah, I would 100% you know, take that experience and, and all that good stuff. <sighs> in my 20s, <laughs> when I was in school, I probably would have taken the money. Yeah. Uh, but I do, like, objectively, I think this guy made the right choice. I, I, I think that that's an experience that he'll have forever. That's a memory he'll have forever. I'm sure he'll get his 15 minutes of fame and get to do all these interviews about it. Um, and, you know, Lord knows when, when Aaron Judge does whatever he does with, at the end of his career and they're honoring him, this guy will still probably be revisited and, and get to talk. So, like... I think he made the right call, and and for a twenty year old or the guy in in, in you know his twenties in college, mm-hmm. wise beyond his years. How about you? Yeah, twenty year old Matt and um, somewhat older than twenty year old Matt were making the exact same call. I'm selling it. I'm gonna take every dime I can for that ball. We're not friends. We're not likely to be friends after this. I, I you know what. I, I just, part of this, and I kind of went off on a weird thing on Twitter, as people tend to do, and I should do less, I, and I pointed it out as I was setting this up, The this is not a record-setting occasion. So is the chance, like if you were at a silent auction, and you had the chance to meet Haley Wickenheiser, or Aaron Judge, or whoever in your case might be your favorite athlete, like for me maybe it would have been back in the day at 20, uh, maybe it's Curtis Joseph, right? Or or whatever. And someone's at 50 grand to meet this person. Nope, not happening. But that's what you're paying here, right? You can, the bare minimum I'm going to sell this ball for is 50 grand, you know, or I can go meet the person. I'm taking the money because this is silly to me. It's not a record setting ball. I sort of get why it's important to judge like, but it's not even a franchise record. It's not an American League record. Maybe number 62, I, I'd be more apt to whatever. But the fact that anyone is willing to pay me for this ball, which in the grand scheme of things means nothing, yeah, I'm, I'm taking the money all day. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm that guy. I, I might, like I said, if it was his 62nd that sets a franchise New York Yankees record, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll And I think that's the American League record as well. We can talk. But to just put this financial whatever on this arbitrary 60th home run get the fuck out of here i'm selling the ball (laughs) there's some asshole on ebay who's gonna pay me i'm gonna let him do it you're selling out matt you're absolutely i'm a sellout there's no question that that's what's gonna happen you're right though like even now i'm like man Fifty thousand dollars go a long way. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm a fully grown adult with a job. Right, <laughs> I'm not a student anymore. Yeah, um, maybe I'm just being altruistic. I think a so. Bit here. I think it's easy to say right now when it's not us, right? That that's that, very true. Yeah, that I would do the right thing. Oof. I'd want to meet my hero, but you know, I got New York Yankee security tapping me on one shoulder, going, "Hey, come down and meet Aaron Judge." And I got some guy sitting beside me to the left, going, "I will give you fifty six thousand dollars right now." I'm like, here you go. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, let that guy make the decision yeah. after he spent this money. 
Exactly. And I would prefer to do it in stadium because if I don't go meet Aaron Judge and I don't have New York Yankee security, the chances of me getting out of the building still holding the ball are probably fairly limited anyway. That's very true. Yeah. It may be a, a safety risk at that point. For sure. Um, so to me, it was interesting and it was heartbreaking because at the time, it was like I said, it was 8-4 Pirates over Yankees. Jays were going to close within a game they'd already won. And uh, Judge hits this like completely irrelevant solo home run in the bottom of the ninth. And then the Yankees load the bases and then Stanton hits it out. And all of a sudden, the Jays' chance of catching the Yankees go down or whatever. I don't know. Maybe the Stanton ball is more important. It, it it obviously isn't. But to me, like it was just one of those nights. And and now you see these, this conversation arise and everybody's talking about what they would do in that situation. I'm not even going to try and pretend that I would do the right thing or go meet my hero. or No, get, I'm going to get paid off this stupid baseball. That's Matt for you, folks. That's how that's You're like go. that guy holding the, the billboard in the middle of the street saying it wasn't even a franchise record. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> It was not like, what are you doing? It's not an MLB record. It's not an AL record. And it's not even a franchise. This is an irrelevant. Anyway, that's how I feel. And if I did try somehow have 50 grand suddenly in my pocket after selling the ball, I might head for Vegas. And uh, there was a bit of a ruckus there this week after uh, you were deemed to be correct on how the WNBA finals were going to go down. And they took over the strip. Um, I don't know when or if, you know, the last time Las Vegas had a pro sports franchise win a a championship, we almost saw the Golden Knights do it a few years ago, but that obviously fell through and the Caps took it. Uh, this was, this was a show when, uh, when Las Vegas won it. And then, like I said, it, it takes a lot to get them to shut down the strip, right? Like there, there's money to be made there. And when you let somebody parade down there, it, it was, it was quite a scene in Vegas this week. Yeah, and I can tell you this this is in fact the first time that Las Vegas has had a championship team men or women's sports. Uh the Las Vegas Aces of the WNBA are the first uh team to do it. So that's that's pretty cool and like yeah, I I, I not to be that guy, but I mean I could have told you they were going to win the championship <laughs> early in and the I season. Think you did. I think I think most people like watching the WNBA especially in early early in the season like the the Las Vegas Aces were just red hot. Um, you know, them in Chicago kind of went back and forth for number one towards the end of the season. Vegas finishes number one overall, but then they came into the playoffs just like no one was getting in their way. Um, they were playing so, so good, and they were getting such great performances, not just from their MVP in Asia Wilson, but also from Chelsea Gray, who was putting up like historic numbers in the playoffs. And Kelsey Plum has been fantastic, and her celebration has just been immaculate she's gone vibes. full ovi oh yeah she's walking around with a cigar in her ah. mouth like her store her instagram stories are pure chaos and it's so amazing um and and you wouldn't expect anything else if you know chelsea uh, kelsey plum at all this is just very much on brand for her um it's been so so much fun to watch i'm not gonna lie i was like can i get a cheap flight to vegas uh, this week because damn that looks fun this is like um, 10 days after your last vacation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I'm, I'm getting to the point where like, I don't want to see another airport for a while, but <laughs> it might be worth it for this. Right. What do you take away from this season in a, you know, a market like Las Vegas winning it? It's not a traditional sports market. Like we see Vegas a lot for boxing and for MMA and, and things like that. Uh, 
you know, concert residencies, um, these sorts of things. But to see Vegas, you know, they've got an NFL team now, they've got an NHL team now, they've got a WNBA team now, and this is the first one to to bring in a championship. What kind of would be your takeaway from these finals and and this season in general, and and you know, seeing this team in particular uh, win the championship when it was all said and done? I think there are a few things. Um, one, uh, the difference a coach can make, right? Becky Hammond comes in. Vegas was a very strong team before Becky Hammond got here. They already had Asia Wilson. They had Kelsey Plum. They had Jackie Young. Um, but she, Becky Hammond took this team from uh, a team that made deep runs in the playoffs and went to the semifinals or the finals even um, many years, but could never get it done. And she helped them get over that hump and just just not not only win a championship, but but be unequivocally the best team in the league. Like some, sometimes the best team in the league doesn't win the championship, sure. right? And sometimes the team that wins the championship wasn't the best team in the league. Mm-hmm. That. 100% was the case here, though. Vegas was, without a shadow of a doubt, the best team in the league. And that, I think, you know, full credit to their players, but full credit to Becky Hammond as well. And the other thing I take away from it is Vegas, the Vegas, Las Vegas Aces are a prime example of what happens in the WNBA when you have an owner who A, gives a shit, and B, invests like he does. And that's exactly what Mark Davis does. Right. Like Mark Davis has all the money in the world, clearly not for a decent haircut, but all the money in the world. This guy could do whatever he wants. Drive and he, a lot of a lot of uh, WNBA owners, if they open some of them openly admit that they just use this team as a tax write off. Yeah. They don't invest in, in their uh, facilities. They don't invest in the resources they give their players. The WNBA makes this difficult, but like, you know, the WNBA prevents uh, teams from being able to charter planes for their teams, but many owners push back on that. And in some cases, just go screw you, we're doing it anyway. Um, is Mark that Davis is. To be fair? Like, because yeah, everyone stupid. can't do it? We won't exactly. let those. It's stupid. Oof, I hate no, it. Yeah. It's it's kind of like a not. It's not. It's not even that not everyone can do it. It's not everyone will do it. Yeah. And they kind of bent to the owners a bit there because, you know, oh. the owners like Mark Davis and and owners like the Sangs in uh, New York have said like, we want to charter flights for our players. They're mm-hmm. professional athletes and they should be flying like other professional athletes. Yeah. Instead, a lot of WNBA players are taking flying economy on Delta overnight. <laughs> from LA to New York and these are women who are like six foot five and yep. taller yep. like they're they're not comfortable um they're miss they're, there was a very high profile story this year where the LA Sparks had to sleep in the airport yeah that's because of this whole situation yeah, yeah exactly and and then they're they get to whatever city they're going to and they're expected to perform like you know uh uh professional athletes and then you know, there's always that asshole who ridicules women's basketball for not being as good as men's basketball. Well, like first, objectively, that's not true. Second, um, how do you expect them to perform anywhere near the level to their male counterparts when they're not given right. half the resources? Pascal that they are, Siakam right? did not spend last night sleeping on the floor of the airport. No, no, nor did he fly uh, Air Canada Rouge. Right, <laughs> right. No, nor should anyone. Like, <laughs> and and this is, I, th- I think Vegas is a a 
prime example of what happens when your owner cares and invests and it's and and like Mark Davis was was right there the whole time watching the he, he doesn't just like invest in the team and walk away like there there's videos of him like in the dressing room afterwards when they're celebrating I think it was when Asia Wilson won the MVP so they had all the executives and the owners in there to announce it and he's just standing there holding a the basketball looking like a kid who's <laughs> someone like someone's parent brought to work yeah. that day <laughs> like he he loves it and it's so I I just want to see more of that more owners investing in their teams because look what happens you win it you you become the first team in las vegas to win a championship and that will be remembered uh, before we move off of this one of the things i want to ask you about and you already mentioned her name and how crucial she was is the legacy of becky hammond and that's a name that we have talked about before on this podcast and how respected she had become across the nba as an assistant coach she'd interviewed for numerous nba head coaching jobs some of those were legit some of those were clearly I don't know what you'd want to call it, like press moves. Hey, look at us. Look how you know we're interviewing a woman, but they weren't serious about it. What does this do for her legacy in in the fact that she went, she got, you know, she she made history in the the NBA in terms of the number of of years she put in there as an assistant coach and decides to go to the WNBA, take on a head coaching role, and and guides her team immediately to a championship. What does this say about her legacy in basketball? Well, I think, I mean, one, it, it, it proves that um, she should have been hired as a head coach a long time yes. ago. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, you see this argument a lot with, with, um, uh, you know, great coaches or coaches who have a, a huge uh, profile, like, you know, Phil Jackson, for example, mm-hmm. everyone always makes the argument, well, Chicago was good before he got there and LA was good before he got there. Yeah, but they didn't win championships yep. before he got there. Yep. They may have had all those players, but getting big players, big ego players, talented players to play well together is no easy feat. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the recipe that was going on here in Vegas for the last little while. You know, they made it to the championship uh, in 2020. They lost to the Seattle Storm. And they, they were perennially one of these teams that got to the semifinals or got to the finals but just could never get it done. They have big-time personalities and big-time players on that team like Asia Wilson and Kelsey Plum and, and Jackie Young. But there needs to be the right leadership to get them all to play a specific role and to get them to play well together and ultimately win. And And that's what Becky Hammond brought. I think the other thing it says is – you know, this is a kind of a lesson in like bet on yourself. Like Becky got probably got sick of interviewing at this place and interviewing at that place and it never going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And like, as much as we call attention to the fact that this is a PR stunt or whatever, you don't think that, you know, that wasn't lost on her. No. And, and she heard that as well. And, and she finally said, you know what, screw it. I'm going to go somewhere where they're going to a pay me really, really well. <laughs> and B like, trust me to lead a team and, and, and coach a team and look what happened. She has a championship in her first year. So, you know, she just proved everyone who who didn't think that she was capable of head coaching and who only thought, you know, interviewing her would help their PR. She proved them all wrong. And and I think that's what really stands out to me about Becky Hammond. What do you suppose that means for her future? Do you Do you think that now that she's gone and as a head coach has won a championship, she might have interest in you know, revisiting the NBA. There, like, there's something to be said. There would be, uh, you know, we all have ego, right? There's something to be said for, no, I, I'm going to go and see 
I want to be the first woman to be hired as a head coach in the NBA. Do you think that the fact that she has gone and done this in the WNBA makes that more likely? Do you think she wants to stay in the WNBA now permanently? Or would this be like a, a stop where, see, I showed I can do it and then circle back? You know, it's certainly not a... I want to be careful how I word this, like a promotion, like one is better than the other. But one one would be more noteworthy, right, to be the first woman to ever coach an NBA team. Do you think that that ship has sailed or do you think that's something she might still be interested in circling back to? I have no doubt in my mind that Becky Hammond will be a head coach in the NBA one day. Okay. I don't think it's going to happen right away yeah. because I think – like. I don't think Becky Hammond would do this, and I also don't think she wants to look like the kind of person who would do this. I don't think she would go to the WNBA for one year and then go to the NBA because it kind of sends the message of like, I just did this while I was waiting yeah. for someone to hire me. Right. I and, and I also think that it sends the wrong message to whatever team d- does hire her because now they see her having the success and they go, oh, wait, Nikkei, now we want to hire you. She's yeah. like, no, screw you. You could have done that before. Yeah. Um, and I think she's going to make them wait. But I do think eventually, because like, you know, let's call a spade a spade. Coaches are eventually fired. That's the way sure. sports go. She, it, her time, she will eventually have accomplished everything she wanted to accomplish in the WNBA as a coach, right? I don't think she's there. I think she, like, the the Las Vegas Aces, they're getting all their players back next year. There's a very real possibility they could repeat. Mm-hmm. And there's a very real possibility we're looking at the beginning of a dynasty here because they're all under contract for many years to come. <laughs> so... I think Becky Hammond would probably want to be a part of that, right? And then she can say, not only did I bring this team to a championship, I I brought a dynasty, yeah, right? I helped. I I was a part of a dynasty, and that just gives her more leverage. But I think it also like she's in the driver's seat right now because she doesn't need an NBA team to come and say, hey, would would you head coach for us when you know they didn't do that before? Mm She she's like, I am a head coach and I'm going to wait until the opportunity I want and the team I want um, comes to me. And I mean, I don't know, hopefully that's Toronto or something. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I think that's interesting. I'm not going to head off to a last place, you know whatever Utah or something. If, if that, I know Utah's not a last place, but like, I'm not just sitting here now looking for breadcrumbs. I've proven what I can do and, uh, I'll, I'll come back when I'm ready to come back. And when the situation that I'm interested in presents itself, uh, exactly. Which is not dissimilar to what Nathan McKinnon just did. As we move over to uh, the hockey side of things, the dude got paid, uh, got himself an eight year extension. He's now in terms of cap hit the highest, paid player in the NHL at $12.6 million uh, as he is, he and the Colorado Avalanche come to uh, an agreement just before the, uh, the season starts here. I don't think anyone had any question that this would eventually get done. Uh, the fact that he now has a championship under his belt doesn't hurt. Um, you know, it makes it easier for them to go, yes, we, we are on the right track. They were, we've talked before about them being the Leafs of the West, except they get to the second round before losing, whereas the Leafs yeah, they tend to do it in the first round and just get on with their summer. Uh, Colorado conquers that, wins a championship. Uh, Kadri leaves, but they do manage to hang on to Nachushkin. They have Rantanen and Landeskog locked up long-term. They have Kale McCarr locked up long-term. They're rolling the dice on a new goaltending tandem. But the key piece here was Nathan McKinnon at $12.6 million for eight years. What do you think of the deal? I mean, Nathan McKinnon playing The Price is Right with Connor McDavid. That's exactly what that looked like, isn't it? (laughs) I'll take the McDavid deal plus $1. (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I, th- the way I found that out or no, I didn't find it out, but I was listening to the Steve Dangle podcast and, and, and they were saying, I think Adam said, you know, guess how much he makes. And Steve said 12.6. And, and I think Jesse said something like 14. And in my mind, I was like, there's no way this kid, this guy's not making kid. This guy's not making like 13 plus, right? right? 12.6. And I was like, that is what hundred percent 12.5. Yeah. Just so he could, he's the highest paid player in the NHL right now. For that's now. all that matters. But like, it, don't you think it was, that was it? Like it was, I want to be team friendly, but I want you to show me some respect because he was also making like 6.7 or whatever for like, he was on a bargain. And he said in one of his interviews there last week down in Vegas, when they did the, the player tour, uh, that he was a, one of the interviewers said, you know, you're kind of the poster child for, you know, that last bargain deal or that last uh, bridge deal or whatever. You know, you were the most underpaid guy in the league. And he goes, yeah, it's not what I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah. He was pretty I honest about time. it. Yeah. And so it looked to me like the same thing you said. I want to be the highest paid guy in the league, but I'm not looking to cripple Colorado while I do it. Could he have asked for 13-5 or 14? Yeah, maybe. But that hurts the team. So he wants the recognition to me of of being the highest paid guy in the league, but without crushing Colorado over it. And so, yeah, it was it's basically just over what McDavid makes. Yeah, and, and it's it's literally double what he was making before. Yes. I think his, his previous contract was 6.3. So I think, I think right, it's yeah. like a little satisfying to be able to say it's double, right? Yeah. After years of being called the, the most economic player or, or the yes. cheapest contract or whatever uh he you know it's a little satisfying for him i think to to, to double it and then like there's a lot of people who were saying oh, i thought he was going to take a team friendly deal and blah blah blah. He dude did. this is he team did. friendly like he could have made way more i don't know what the max he could have made it but it's like 14 something right i believe so 14 yeah. 15 like it's a percentage of 20 percent of the cap so yeah which by the way i also think that's stupid don't tell teams how much they can spend on one player if they want to go and like spend half the cap on one player and make a huge mistake (laughs) go for it i don't care um but i I do think this is still team friendly i i and that's not to say that like because people will then take oh you you think that uh mckinnon is better than mcdavid no mcdavid should probably also be getting paid more but he signed that deal a couple years ago just wait till his next deal comes up like this when you when you look at um Okay. Um, <laughs> I couldn't just let that. Yeah, I know. I had to stop and snicker just for a second. All right, that's fair. I know it's ridiculous to say about players who are making twelve million dollars a year to play hockey, but NHL players are are paid crumbs compared to what other professional athletes in North America, or mm-hmm. male athletes in North America, are paid. Um, and and when you think of who the Connor McDavid and who the Nathan McKinnon is in the NBA and the MLB um, and, and the NFL, they're making way more. So like these guys already are underpaid and they deserve to get what underpaid sounds weird, but like they, they, they deserve to as get far whatever as the market goes. Yeah. As far as the market goes, like, like they deserve to get whatever they, they, they deserve to be the, the highest paid players in the league, whatever that means. Nathan McKinnon could very well reasonably be making 14 plus, but mm-hmm. you're right. He wants to make sure that this team can actually win a championship again and he doesn't want to completely bankrupt them. So I think it's a team friendly deal while also getting closer to, to paying. Like he should be, he or McDavid should be the highest paid player in the league. There's no, there's no mm-hmm. ifs, ands, or buts about it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So he gets that and he, he keeps it somewhat team friendly. And I like that. Is there any doubt in your mind that within 
mm, probably 15 months, Austin Matthews is going to be the highest paid player in the league? Probably because I feel like we're entering that phase, much like the NFL, where every big time contract that's signed is now the highest paid player in the league. Right. Like yeah, yeah. He, he becomes the highest paid player in the league simply because he signed a deal then and not three years ago or whatever. Like you're really he, that certain of, that 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 Nate McKinnon is better than Austin Matthews. Uh, I don't know how it's, to get out of this conversation. Yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting because here's no, the no, up- I said I said Matthews would be. Oh, sorry. No, you. Uh, yeah, he will be. But you had also said that there's no doubt that Nate McKinnon right now should be the highest paid player in the league. And I, I think Matt, I, I think right now because he's he's the he's, one who he's had the a one who's available. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Like the most recent. I don't, I don't know how to say it in the right way, but like the most recent big time contract that signed should be the highest paid yes. player in the league. You know what I mean? Like because Connor McDavid signed his deal at the time was the highest paid player in the league yep. because that's what the market dictated. Yep. Now, but Con- he locked uh, it in Nathan for eight McKinnon, years. Yeah. Exactly. Nathan McKinnon's deal comes up and based on the market, that should be the highest contract because it's the one that's up. Yeah. Right. Connor McDavid's isn't. Austin Matthews comes up, what, ne- not next year, the year after that? Yeah. They can start negotiating um, with him this coming July, but it's not okay. unrestricted. So that, yeah. That, so so his contract comes up based on what the market dictates. He probably will be the, the highest paid player in the league. Like, and, and then it just keeps going. And next time Connor McDavid comes up, he will be like, it, it's, it's not just based on objectively who's the best player. It's based on whose contract was up and what did the market dictate? As you know, uh, the first thing that happens on Twitter is how can we make this about the Leafs? And so Nathan McKinnon goes to 12.6 and everyone goes, okay, what did that mean for what's about to happen with Austin Matthews? And in my opinion, it meant almost nothing. I don't think Austin Matthews is the same as Nathan McKinnon where he's going to go, I'll take 12.7 and just inch that guy out and become the highest player. I think Austin Matthews is going to come in and go, yeah, I don't know. I think like 14.5 is about where I'd like to be because I I just don't get the sense that Austin Matthews has that humble Canadian kid where, yeah, I'd like to get paid, but I'll do the, you know, and it will line up better with when the cap is about to explode and, and move much higher after they've finished paying off the owners from everything that's gone on here through the pandemic. But I don't think this changed very much at all. Uh, for Austin Matthews. I have no sense that that guy is going to do what McKinnon just did in terms of, I want the respect of being the highest paid guy in the league, but I I still want to leave room. I think that guy's going to come in and go, no, fucking pay me now and and pay me big, I, I think is what's coming for the Leafs. Does that worry you as a Leafs fan in terms yes. of what else they'll be able to do? You mean coming off all this success that we've had already uh, with this setup? <laughs> It does a little bit. Now, the one thing I would say is after the next two years, the only people left under contract are uh, Callie Yarncrook and Morgan Riley. So they have made sure that when Nylander and Matthews and Marner are going to come up, they have maximum flexibility. Uh, And the cap will start to rise again the way we all expected that it would when they signed all these previous deals. So we'll see. But it does freak me out a bit because... He just, we've talked about this before. All the talk that Austin Matthews, as soon as he has the opportunity, he's going to bolt for Arizona is just ridiculous. But might he bolt for LA or New York or Miami or something? Yeah, he might. Like, I I could believe that. Um, I think he likes being a big shot. I think he likes being kind of king shit. And I think the place 
that he can do that the best. If you like being under the microscope and like being, you know, one of the stars of the league is Toronto, but it would not shock me if, if he decided, yeah, New York, Chicago, LA, Miami, something like that. Like that would not shock me. Uh, so I still think Toronto can offer him more money outside of the cap, right? Being all the other things that he can do in terms of advertising and, and, you know, promoting his name and whatever, but it's, it's funny when people talk about what did the Nathan McKinnon do to Austin Matthews? I don't think it did very much because I think McKinnon is the guy that goes, I want the respect of being the highest paid guy in the league briefly, but I'll still take a team friendly deal. I, I truly believe Austin Matthews is one of those guys who goes, yeah, I want to be the highest paid guy in the league and probably by a reasonable margin. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And and it's, it's that reason. It's that characteristic about Matthews that makes me think much like you that he'll, if he's going to go anywhere and I, I'm not also not even sold on the fact that he's going to leave Toronto. No, I think that's more like days. Yes. But if he goes anywhere, it's yes. going to be a big time market. It's yeah. going to be New York, LA, somewhere where he is, he can walk the streets and be a star. And there's nothing wrong with that. No. But if that's what he wants, like, dude, you, you got here, you got to the show, make your money and, 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 you know, live the life you want. You think he really wants to go live in the obscurity of Arizona? Like he spends his, he probably spends his summers there. Yeah. He doesn't need to go play hockey there in front of 3,500 fans at ASU. <laughs> um, and, and. Again, like the, again, it's it's so weird saying some of the stuff about players who make millions and millions of dollars, but their careers are so short. Yep. When you really think about it, I'm a big proponent of make your money while you can. Do whatever you got to do to make your money while you can, because you probably won't be playing hockey at the age of 38, and and that it is a difficult transition in and of itself. Make your money now. Do whatever you need to do. Well, on that note, why don't we transition to talking about a guy like P.K. Subban, who five years ago, prime, like one of the elite defensemen in the NHL. He did not have that gradual ramp down where, you know, you get another deal that's, you know, not too bad. And then you play on a league min deal for a winner for a little while. That guy's 33 years old and out of the league. His body... Just couldn't do it anymore. He had some back injuries. He couldn't really skate the way he wanted to anymore. And, you know, we'll talk about these guys together, although they're very different players. Zdeno Chara was drafted 11 years before P.K. Subban, and they retire on the same day. So, you know, as you kind of look at this, one of the things that NBA players do is often take little three-year deals or two-year deals and and bet on themselves and the cap going up. And we've seen LeBron do it repeatedly. We've seen other guys do it. Maybe that is something that an Austin Matthews would do instead of what Nathan McKinnon just did for eight years. For three years, I'm going to take 14.5. And then I'll see where the cap is. Because maybe after that, I've still got another three-year deal in me at 15.8 or something like that instead of locking in long-term. But it's a risk. And we see that with a guy like P.K. Subban, who, you know, after he bridged with Montreal, it screwed Montreal because they weren't prepared to pay him. He only offered him a bridge deal. On that bridge deal, he goes out and wins a Norris and goes, yeah, I think I'd like my $9 million a year now when I would have taken like five, three years ago. And you just don't know what the future is going to hold, what Nathan McKinnon locks in for eight years because he is now guaranteed $12.6 million a year for eight years. P.K. Subban comes up, 
new, uh, his contract expires at exactly the wrong moment when his body is sort of failing him. And at 33 years old, the kid's out of the league. Um, I did not see that coming maybe a year or two ago as this summer went on. I was a little surprised to see that he hadn't signed somewhere on like that guy was still plenty good enough to be a third pair defenseman if he wanted to be, but he's a big personality. He's got media opportunities. What did you make of, of PK Subban walking away at 33 years old? I mean, this is exactly what I mean when I say make your money now because yes. PK Subban's a prime example of you never know how long your career is going to be. Yep. You might, you, you're lucky to play into your late thirties yep. and, and, like it breaks my heart for the guy, but it just, it's a stark reminder of how short these careers can be. Um, that being said, I think like as we mourn his hockey career, he has got a bright future ahead oh, yeah. of him in media. And, and I think that's only a good thing for uh hockey media. Cause well, one thing we know it needs more of is uh, a diversity of voices. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it <laughs> in does. many ways, um, and and I think that's great. And he's so good at it, and and I think it's so exciting. And that's exactly what he. What I loved about PK Subban was exactly that his personality. He never hid his personality. He never conformed to this uh, cookie cutter box that we put every hockey player into. And if they dare step out of it, we ridicule them. And that happened to him. Yes, but he never conformed to it. Right. He dared to have gasp clutches pearls, a personality in the NHL. (gasps) And you saw the way people reacted to it. And it was just hysterical. But I think I think through that, a lot of us started to wake up to how ridiculous the norms that we have been exposed to in hockey are. And I and for for me anyway, PK Subban was kind of that window because I mean, like people called him a distraction. The dude in the same summer that Patrick Kane was accused of sexual assault, PK Subban donated ten million dollars to a children's hospital in Montreal, and only one of them, only one of them, was labeled a quote unquote distraction Mm -hmm. in the room. Guess which one? Yep, because it wasn't Patrick Kane. Like in that little story right there, was a wake up call for me for as a hockey fan, as an NHL fan that something is broken in this culture and, and it's only gotten worse since then. But PK Subban was how I learned that. I think it's how a lot of people learned it. And, and like all of this on top of the fact that at a time he was the best defenseman in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Not Got that long ago. Trophy under his belt. And it, it's funny eh, the way that certain people, and now that he's retired and look, I'm not dumping on Montreal here because every fan base does this. We want to be a part of this. We're the classy team. We're the yeah, every fan base kind of sucks in its own way. He was a guy, as you said, who donated ten million dollars to a children's hospital and got run out of town as a bad guy, a bad locker room guy, and whatever. Saku Koivu bought a uh, an extremely rare at the time, an extremely expensive machine for cancer patients at a hospital in Montreal. And that guy is lionized as now I know he's not Canadian, but he is a quiet, unassuming white guy who does all the things that we want our hockey players to do. Right. Where, Mm -hmm. and so to me, those guys in terms of what they did in the community are comparable, but the reputations that they have in the market are not comparable at all. And you kind of go, Hmm. I wonder what the disconnect might be. Yeah. And all of a sudden he's shipped out of town for Shea Weber, who was a perfectly capable defenseman. I, I honestly, like a lot of people 
thought at the time that Nashville absolutely fleeced Montreal in that trade. It did not turn out that way, obviously. Um, Subban still had a couple of good years. They did go to a cup final. Weber was also perfectly fine uh, for Montreal until his injuries caught up to him. And uh, both of them out of the league within, you know, 12 months of each other. So did not see that coming either. But yeah, he's got a fascinating legacy. And I, I think... You know, whatever he wants to do, he does already have one TV series greenlit. Maybe you're more familiar with this than I am. There's something, I guess, on ESPN called uh, Eli's Places that Eli Manning does. And they're going to do the same thing with uh, with P.K. Subban called P.K.'s Places. So the NHL is going to produce that, but it will air on ESPN, who is one of their broadcast partners in the U.S. Whether that means he's also locked into being a panelist for them or whether he might be able to do Sportsnet or to me he might fit better in the vibe that that TNT has going on down, um, uh, down there, but you have not heard the last of that. It's a bummer that we're not going to watch that guy play anymore, but I do think he could do a lot of good for this sport still, even post playing career. Yeah. I think what he did for, um, you know, calling attention to the culture inadvertently, like he was like, he never came out and say, said it, but like I said, we all kind of learned how, shitty this culture is through him i think he could do the same thing in broadcasting and i think that he lends if he lends his voice to commentary in hockey i think it would do a world of good because one we're not going to be hearing that same um those same opinions and and granted a lot of them were removed from the air when a certain individual was was fired Mm. but we're not going to be hearing those same backwards ass opinions we're going to be hearing something very new and, and, and hopefully we're going to be hearing, you know, uh, someone kind of call attention to, to how ridiculous some of the, the commentary we already hear in hockey is. Um, and, and again, like at the end of the day, he's, he's just so good at it. We've seen that already. And I think, I think more of PK Subban in the game of hockey is a wonderful thing. So, um, I think it's, it's great that we're, we're not done hearing from him. It's it, like, as you said, it's a bummer that uh, it's not him playing hockey, um, but it's, I think we, we still win here. Uh, this Kolsch is fantastic. Maybe the best Kolsch I've ever had, honestly. Really? Yeah, I'm loving this beer. Uh, Front Porch is, is a good one. It's it, one of, uh, in terms of lighter beers, it's one of my faves. It's very nice. Uh, one thing we should touch on, I know as a, as a Sens fan yourself, you probably had some, uh, some feelings that you had to get inside here as uh, on the same day we saw Zdeno Chara was going to retire. Um, fascinating career for that guy. When he debuts for the Islanders, he's terrible. Like he's, yeah. he's, he can't skate. He's not any good. You dump it into his corner and wait for him to kind of fall over and then you dig it out and go to his thing. And he gradually turns himself into not just a capable defenseman, but a Norris Trophy winning defenseman. And a huge part of that transition happens here in Ottawa because Mike Milbury does uh, Mike Milbury things and trades him and Spezza uh, and Bill McCalt. Let's not forget poor Bill McCalt to the uh, Senators uh, for Alexi Yashin. And it's here in Ottawa that Chara establishes himself before he moves on in 2006 to Boston where they immediately name him the captain. He plays the overwhelming majority of his career becomes an absolute killer. Uh, as a Leaf fan, I don't have many nice things to say about Zdeno Chara other than the fact that obviously he's a legend. He does go on 
plays that shortened pandemic season in Washington and then uh, one year back on the island before signing a, a one-day contract in Boston to retire back there. Um, what do we make of, of Zidane Chara as he retires at 45 freaking years of age? I mean, you kind of alluded to it earlier, but but this is a lesson in the, the tale of two hockey careers and how they could end, right? And P.K. Subban and, and Zidane Chara, one is cut short because of injury and your body just failing you. And one, you know, this guy got to play into his 40s yeah. and kind of he got to retire the way I think any NHL player, any athlete would want to retire. He got to be with the team that he played most of his career with, that he had the most success with. He got to walk off into the sunset. I mean, walking it out. Yeah. seriously, <laughs> It's like Mr. Burns's, uh, yes. uh, thing that he used. I can't remember what it was called to, to block the sun. That's the sunset at 3 PM. <laughs> like, what do you say about the guy? He was, he, a freaking monster and i know sens fans have a little bit of a it's a it's a bit of a trigger memory mm, yeah. with with Zidane Chara cuz as good as he was here and, the, and i have a very unpopular opinion about that cuz hmm. at the time i don't think it was i think it was an impossible decision it didn't seem crazy at the time it didn't seem as crazy as it does now no. at the time i think if you if you had said to me and many people did they made the wrong choice at that time. I would have been like, okay, maybe, but we don't know that yet because yeah. Wade Renden was also one of the best defensemen in the league at the time. Just coming off an appearance on Canada's Olympic team. And and we were dealing with a cap that no team really knew what to do with quite yet. And the cap was like 50 million. Like it was where the floor it is now. It was 39 coming out of the lockout. It was insane. Oh God. Yeah. Like, and, and to have to make this decision was not something that, most teams were used to in this climate. Yeah. And I just don't think it's as, it's, it's, it's certainly egregious to look back now and of look course. where Wade Redden's career went and went, where's the Dan O'Chara's career went. We didn't all have, none of us had hindsight yeah. back then, right? Like at the time, I think it was an impossible decision and you could have convinced me that either one was right. And well, I loved Wade Redden. Well, so I wasn't going right, to argue against it. Coming out of that first lockout, 0405, that first year, they were calling penalties constantly, right? And it was high scoring and it was it, it was what we wanted. There was more skating, whatever. And Wade Redden, he was going to fit that better than big, slow Zidane Chara, right? And then Chara continues to improve. The game kind of goes back to, not all the way back to what it was before the lockout, but a more settled down kind of version. And all of a sudden, Redden can't keep up anymore. And Chara, while he was never a great skater, that wasn't his game, he's... A, unbelievable penalty killer his bomb from the point he would terrify any defenseman standing in front of it and he sort of found his game and Redden goes on he signs a huge contract with the Rangers it doesn't quite pan out but I'm with you I can remember talking to somebody on the day that he signed in Boston uh, this being Chara going I kind of get it for the sense I I would I probably, it's a coin flip. It wasn't like Redden's way better, but I, this is the bet I would make too. And it sure did not pan out the way a lot of people thought that it would. But it's a very easy thing to go back and criticize now when, you know, we see how those careers have panned out. But at the time, it was a very difficult decision for the Senators and for, yep. for real reasons. Exactly. And, and also like, if you were looking at, if you were to project, predict longevity 
between yeah. Zidane Chara and Wade Redden just based on who is whose body that is going to fail them first. Down. Yep. Nope. And I like like again a wrong assessment. <laughs> yes. But at the time, I wouldn't have faulted someone for making no. that assessment, no. right? So. All that is to say, I, I think that we overblow that decision a lot right now. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's very easy to look back and go, that was a terrible move, but we all forget how difficult of a decision it was at the time. So, I mean, that doesn't take away from what Zdeno Chara did in Boston and, and you know, the legacy he has there. He won a, he won a Stanley Cup, what, four years, five years after he left yeah. Ottawa? Like, it, it, um, it turned Morris around for him there and... And they've, you know, Boston's just been per, just in it every year. Oh, have right? they? I had no idea. It's, oh, yeah. It's, you it's, may have remembered that. Bumped um, up against Mr. Chara a time or two. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, it, it's, I, I think that Zdeno Chara surprised many of us. Because, again, if you had told me, especially early in his career, uh, but even, uh, you know, when he was with the Sens and, and playing some of the best hockey of his career, if you had told me this guy would play into his 40s, it would have been like, no, really? No shot. Like yeah. you, you make, and again, I said, Jesus, I've made some bad assessments on players. Cause I said the same thing about Ovi at one point. I said the way he plays, he's going to be, he's going to get injured yeah. and, and that's never happened. Nope. Uh, or at least not, not seriously. So uh, don't take my advice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all that is to say, do not take my advice. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting. Would you, as a Sens fan, you know, obviously he's retired as a Bruin. That's where his biggest, uh, accomplishments came. Do you have any interest? Is there any sort of approach in like putting that guy on the ring of honor or whatever they call it here or retiring his jersey or is he, you know, his best years were after Ottawa and you just kind of leave it as, as that. I mean, definitely not retiring his jersey, but like some sort of like, like uh, nod to him and there may already be something in, in the CTC. I just can't recall, but like yeah. he, he played some great hockey here and he was also part of this team's best years yes. aside from, from making the Stanley cup final, obviously he wasn't a part of that, but like the early two thousands, yep. you know, when they were winning the president's trophy, when they were going to the conference finals and when they were being eliminated by the Toronto, <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and when they were God one of the best you. regular season teams, um, he was a part of that. He was a part of this franchise's best consistent years. And I think that should be honored in some way. I, Jersey retirement is, is too much for, for what he meant here. I could see that in Boston, maybe. Yeah, for sure. Um, not here, just, just because. He's a Hall like, of Famer, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, I don't think there's any. Is Suba? I don't, like, I don't, I don't think he might, he might not be. Like, I don't think a Norris see, is I, quite I, enough. I like one Norris in a lockout short and tear. This is this is an interesting conversation, and I feel like if you ask me in a week or two, I might have a different. Yeah. I might have a different answer because I feel like I need to think about it a little bit more. But my gut for Hall of Famer is: at some point, were you the best at what you did? If the answer is yes, then you can make a case for Hall of Fame. And I think the answer to that is yes for PK Subban. Hmm. But like his time here was short. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, even that, he was still in the league for, what, 13, 14 years. Yep. He he won a Norris. He won how many Olympic gold medals? Two? At least one. one. I think one. At yeah. least one in Sochi. Yeah. Yes. I, he's um, not on World Junior Championship. Yep. Um, you know, the Hockey Hall of Fame is not the NHL Hall of Fame, and no. he did a lot internationally. Yep. <sighs> I, you know what? I, I'm kind of like thinking out loud here. I, yeah, I would say P.K. Subban is a Hall of Famer. I'm going... Again, maybe I'll think it through a little bit more, but I, I can make a case for it. 
I absolutely love PK, but I I don't think for me he's a Hall of Famer. And again, some at some point it's his gut feel, right? Like it, it's just is that guy one of the elite all time in the league? Ah, maybe not, right? For whereas for me, Chara slam dunk, right? Norris Cup, just the the way he played for as long as he did, and I can't stand that guy. Like when I think Zdeno Chara, I think of him in the second series against Toronto when he just skates in before a whistle and literally punches the fuck out of John Tavares for no... You're like, anybody gonna call that? No? Okay. Guess we'll just carry on. Like, I don't like Zidane Chara, but when you look at that guy's career as a whole, to me, I can remember the Bruins, whether it was... I think it was just before 2014, the Bruins let Zidane Chara leave the NHL early because the Slovaks had asked him to be their flag bearer at the Olympics. And the NHLers don't show up till they feel like it, right? They play games and the, the opening ceremonies are all, and the Bruins said, no, you, you got to go, man. Like you got to be a part of that and, and let him take games off, whatever. And to me, those are, those things matter where your teammates go, I totally support you leaving us right now to go do that. And, um, I think some of the shit that PK took from his teammates over the years, especially in Montreal was unfair. Um, but I don't think he was ever as universally loved and respected for what he did as Zidane as Chara was. And The loved and respected thing is a tough argument, though, because there are a lot of people who didn't love and respect PK for the absolute wrong, wrong reasons. Wrong reasons. No, nope, you're right about that. You're right about that. Like that's a, that's, and, and, and like personally, if, if you don't I, – I don't know how someone makes a case against PK Subban. Uh, other, like uh, if, he, if he – you know, there are a lot of sense fans who don't love him because he hacked the hell out of Mark Stone's wrist. Um, if you fracture. don't love him for non-hockey reasons, I'd start to ask yourself some questions as to why. But I love PK as a hockey player. I just, I don't know if I see him as a Hall of Famer. And and those are just, you know, different. Uh, but to me, it's an interesting debate, right? And and we can have it again. I mean, there are a lot of people on the Hall of Fame committee who go with that same gut feeling when they're in- inducting players, so you never know. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's true. And and they've, they're wrong quite often. They're, yeah, wrong quite often. Let's just leave it at that. It's going to be a really interesting debate because I think that the question of whether or not P.K. Subban is a Hall of Famer is an, it's, it is a perfect candidate for a massive hockey Twitter debate. Oh, it's... Um, in three years or whatever, three years after retirement, you're first eligible, I think, or five years, whatever yeah. it is. This will this will be one of those days where you just go, nope, and log off, right? Like yeah, Twitter will melt away. down. It's going to be gross. It's Not go- since is a hot dog a sandwich have we been so divided. <laughs> I think that's probably a good place to uh, to lay this one down or uh, to wind this one down. What's coming up on She's Got Game this weekend? Uh, well, we are definitely going to be talking about the Las Vegas Aces, yes. uh, their championship win. And um, like I said, I think I said this last time, but we are starting to to set our sights a little bit on uh, the NWSL now that the NBA is, is wrapped up. Uh, we have a little more time to dedicate to the NWSL and, and their playoff picture is kind of slowly taking shape. So a um, little bit of uh, highlights from the NWSL, including Vanessa Gill, Canadian, uh, mm. of, of Canadian women's national team fame, um, moving to Lyon and uh, going over to, uh, to Lyon on loan from Angel City FC. So we'll, uh, we'll have a little bit of everything. 
that and the uh, the Mouchoir podcast at the Red Blacks get back into uh, to action this week as well. Uh, lots of uh, lots of places you can catch Michaela. She is on Twitter. I'm keeping this because it's fun to say at S C H R E I D S and uh, at Crafted in the Capital on Instagram. If you want to see her break your heart with uh, closed breweries. In the yep, <laughs> I do that. This is a thing that's happening at this point. Uh, for Michaela, my name is Matt. We are on Twitter and Instagram at all can audio. Make sure you're subscribed to every hearing us right now. We'll get out of here on that one and catch you all next time. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun, but now the time has come to go. If this silk was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! <laughs> <laughs> Ugh.